Hello, everyone. Welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is Joe Aletto, and I'm the production manager of SALT, a global thought leadership forum and networking platform encompassing finance, technology, and geopolitics. SALT Talks is a series of digital interviews with the world's foremost investors, creators, and thinkers. And just as we do at our global SALT conferences, we aim to both empower big, important ideas and provide our audience a window into the minds of subject matter experts. And today we are thrilled to welcome Marlon Nichols to Salt Talks. Marlon is a founding managing partner at Mac Venture Capital, which finds the entrepreneurs building the future for the rest of America. He's a former Kaufman Fellow and investment director at Intel Capital with an extensive background in technology, private equity, media, and entertainment. Marlon's unique eye for global trends and shifts in consumer behavior has helped him capture many high potential investments, which include Gimlet Media, MongoDB, Thrive Market, Fair, Listener, Maven, Blavity, Pipe, Wonderschool, and other companies that reflect overlooked markets. He serves on the board of directors of for Ajua, Blavity Finesse, Kaufman Fellows Program, Listener, Riff, Sote, and Wonderschool. Marlon is the recipient of MVMT 50 South by Southwest 2018 Innovator of the Year Award, a 2018 nominee of the Ad Color in Tech Award, Digital Diversity's Innovation and Inclusion Change Agent Award, was named PitchBook's 25 Black Founders and VCs to Watch in 2018 and 2019, was the Tech Week 100 winner, and was named one of Silicon Republic's 26 VC professionals spearheading change. He's been featured on TechCrunch, Fortune, Blavity, and NBC, and is adjunct faculty in entrepreneurship and venture capital at the SC Johnson College of Business at Cornell University. If you have any questions for Marlon during today's talk, please enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen. And now I am thrilled to turn it over to Sarah Kuntz, a friend of the firm and managing director of Clio Capital to conduct today's interview. Thanks, Joe. Um, and thank you, Marlon, for coming. We're super excited to have you today. Um, and we have a lot to talk about. Um, so we have been friends for a long time, Marlon, and we have been in tech for a long time. Um, but for everybody who has not known you for years and years, tell us how you got here. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it was great to get the, the email or the call, and um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my uh, so I am the product of an immigrant entrepreneur, uh, my mother, uh, who we're, we're from uh, Jamaica, and um, we moved here when I was about seven years old, and I watched her um, move from a uh, housekeeper and nanny to, um, to a beautician to then owning her own salon and um, building that salon for about over 20 years. It, that salon essentially raised me. Um, so with that, I, I um, did my undergrad at Northeastern University and studied uh, management information systems. I was always interested in, in technology, and I thought that if I had a business degree, I could be helpful um, with my mom's entrepreneurial ventures. And, and so graduated and uh, jumped right into um, the enterprise software world. I joined a, um, a seat stage um, enterprise software company um, right out of undergrad. And uh, within a year, was asked to, to move to the UK to help launch that company in, um, in the UK to serve the UK and Europe. Three years later, that company um, was acquired by SAP. And I decided that I didn't want to be an operator. Um, and so I shifted to the other side of the spectrum and uh, pursued a career in consulting. 
And so I first worked with the Blackstone Group uh, doing kind of post M&A integration work. Um, and then that shifted to uh, more strategy consulting focused on media and entertainment. And so that was about a um, five year career for me in, in, in consulting and it, uh, it went pretty well, but I learned something about myself again, um, similar to kind of like the, the Goldilocks um, story, right? Uh, too small, too big, you need something right in the middle. And so what was right in the middle for me was venture capital. So I decided to, um, to go back to business school to pursue a career in venture. Uh, I chose Cornell University. Um, I became the CEO of the, the school's um, MBA-led pre-seed fund for the two years that I was there. And that enabled me to network into the venture community. I graduated with a job at Intel Capital, um, quickly became an investment director. They sponsored me to be a Kauffman Fellow, which uh, five, within that, uh, towards the end of that five-year period, kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I wanted to also be an entrepreneur but within venture. Uh, so set out to create uh, my first fund, which was called Cross Culture. Uh, we invested in 43, uh, 43 companies there. It's a very um, high performing fund to this day. Um, and now we're onto our second fund, which we rebranded as Mac Venture Capital. Awesome, good. Um, and so tell us uh, about Mac. Um, tell us about uh, you know Charles and Adrian, uh, your partners there. Uh, I've, I've known all three of you separately and you have three of the kind of the most uh, accomplished prior careers to coming together before coming together to start a fund. So, so give us their bios and their absence. Yeah, and so I am probably the least interesting of, of all the partners. You heard my background. I mean, uh, Charles King um, was a Hollywood super agent um, when he was with WME. I mean, he, he managed the careers of, of folks like Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry um, Michael B. Jordan, Ryan Coogler, et cetera. Um, and then uh, branched out to create his own media company with a focus of um, making sure that black and brown folks had more representation, better representation on the big screen um, and on um, the major streaming platforms. And that company is called Macro. Um, and then Adrian, um, Adrian was the fifth mayor of Washington, DC, right? So, I mean, in DC, some could consider it a state, so he might as well be a governor. <laughs> and um, you know, after leaving office, got tapped by Mark Andreessen to to help um, create their regulatory um, practice, working with companies like um, Airbnb and Lyft, et cetera, helping them figure out how do you navigate government and regulatory um, agencies to build amazing companies. Um, and then our our um, our other partner, uh, Mike Palank. Um, who, who's also a w, WME agent and, um, and worked with Charles at, at Macro for a while, also um, took the helm as acting CFO and CEO of, of a couple of um, startups himself. Um, we just have a, it, it's an interesting DNA because we have such varied experiences, um, but we get along so well and see the world in, in such a similar way um, that, it, it, that it just works. Um, but those, those varied experiences, um, helped us to create some really valuable relationships across a number of industries um, that we can then leverage to um, help our portfolio companies grow. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, you've been an, an operator and an investor and have sort of had a close-up look at, at uh, entrepreneurship from your mom your whole life. Um, you know, do you do you love VC? Um, I know that that some of us are are sort of 
in it to maybe change it a little bit. So, so tell us kind of what do you see as the pluses and minuses of our industry? Yeah, um, I like what I do, uh, honestly. Um, and, and it took me a while to get here, right? Um, just, just the mindset that, that I wanted to, to be a VC. And the, you know, the things that, that attracted me to it uh, or what I was looking for in my daily um, professional life was one, I wanted to be around cutting edge technology all the time. I wanted to interact with super smart people that are um, that are very creative, um, and you find that in most um, most entrepreneurs. Um, I also wanted to engage with companies at you know strategy um, at the strategy level, and I wanted to to have some real skin in the game, right? So with consulting, you can get a lot of that stuff, but you have no skin in the game. Um, with venture, you know you're tied to this company for five to ten years, maybe sometimes longer, right? Um, and so I, I did find those things. I find those things every day. I meet interesting people every day. I'm introduced to, um, you know, uh, just provocative technology um, and, and, and um, interesting solutions to, to um, you know, to real problems. And so, so I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, can the industry change? Absolutely. Um, there's, there's one, there's not enough diversity in, in the industry. Um, not only racial, um, gender, and thought, <laughs> like it, we can get better on on all fronts, and I think we need to in order to to really realize the um, um, the financial benefits that we all want to see. Um, as as an example, you know, there you think about underserved communities and some of the challenges that that those communities have seen over years, decades. And the fact that if you apply technology to some of those challenges, we can solve them. And, um, and those represent you know, billion dollar opportunities. We've invested in some. And you know, if, unless you have um, you know, a diverse team, um, investment team to identify those opportunities and then to, to screen for the right um, founders to solve those opportunities, you're gonna be sitting on the sideline um, while these remarkable things are done or created. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about Coffin Fellows, what it is, all of that? Sure. So it, it's a, it's a two-year fellowship in, in venture capital, global fellowship. And it's meant, it started out as um, wanting to basically introduce um, talented people to venture capital and get them started in the space. It's evolved over the years to um, an organization um, that can help existing venture professionals become better venture professionals. Um, and we do that through um, connecting to a, um, a pretty significant global network of the, the who's who and the who is emerging in venture capital, um, as well as um, you know, teaching um, some of the key traits that I think make for great leaders, right? How do you, diversity, as I mentioned, right? Um, why is that important? Um, why should you embrace it, right? And so part of, you know, why I was so excited about joining that board is because now I have an opportunity to, to really shape um, what venture capital, what the venture capital community looks like going forward. 
Yeah, that's so important. Um, we're very glad you're there. So uh, you, you and I talk about this a lot um, and we're in conversations a lot about this, but what does the funding landscape look like you know, for Black and Hispanic fund managers and then also for, for Black and Hispanic founders, right? So especially this year of sort of you know, uh, re, reliving the 1960s when it comes to the civil rights movement, it feels like, um, have there been changes? Like what, what are you seeing right now? Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough, right? It continues to be tough. Um, however, I think I'm seeing, I'm seeing some chinks in the armor. Um, there, there, you know, there's some folks coming around and starting to, to realize that, you know, you're missing out on, um, you know, some, some possible exponential, um, return opportunities, um, you know, as, as LPs, as, as you call it, um, you know, the um, I guess the CIO at uh, was at Yale just made a, a statement recently um, advocating for the need for for diversity. You know, um, years past that that never would have happened. We're starting to see um, you know a lot of endowments reporting their um, their diversity numbers, et cetera. So it, it, it you know diversity has always been an interesting thing because it ebbs and flows. Um, it, at times it's it's very top of mind. And then it goes away, and then rinse and repeat, you know, over the years. And what I'm finding uh, this time around is it, it seems to be sticking. Um, you know, a nerve has been struck, um, and 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 people are, are digging in and seeing the, the value, not only you know the um, the social value, but the economic value um, of, of of diversity, um, and that you know that's going to lead directly, the more capital that goes to diverse fund managers will directly affect the number of um, uh, diverse, and when I say diverse, I mean black and brown founders um, that receive capital, because it's human nature. Uh, we can, you know, try to game it all we want, but human nature is to work with, to be friends with, to spend time with, people that resemble you in, in several ways, right? Whether that be, you just look alike or you went to the same schools or you grew up in the same communities or you summered in the same towns, like whatever those things are that, um, you know, that, that make you feel uh, similar uh, and comfortable, that's, that's what you're gonna gravitate to. And so the more um, fund managers of color that um, you know that that we allocate or that LPs allocate capital to. That means the more people that look like them and, and have shared experiences um, with them will receive um, funding dollars as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, awesome. Well, be sure to drop your questions uh, in the Q and A. Um, also, a great opportunity to to pitch Marlon. He's a captive audience. Um, so, Marlon, tell me. Um, what can allocators and investors do, right? Like you just said, it's super important to back more diverse fund managers so that and diverse investors um, so that more diverse people get funded. Um, but what can allocators and investors do to be better at both attracting to hire as well as funding diverse talent? So you worked inside of Intel Capital, um, you know, what, and I've done the same thing. I've worked inside of large funds that, that aren't uh, particularly diverse until we show up. Um, so, you know, how, what's the key to attracting that talent? And, and then what's the key uh, to funding it? Yeah, I don't think it's any different from any other industry, right? Um, you can, if you put the word out that that you are for 
um, you know, recruiting uh, diverse talent, then you'll get the applications and you have to be open to receiving them and, and truly, um, true, truly vetting them, right? Um, but then it's about creating a, um, a, a community, um, uh, a culture where they feel comfortable, right? So I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the, um, the tech industry and the woeful um, diversity numbers. And, you know, um, Fang does not have a, a, a hard time recruiting people of, of diverse, <laughs> diverse talent in. They have a hard time retaining them, right? And that's because you're asking them to, to um, assimilate to a culture that, um, that doesn't quite fit all of their needs or, or considers their needs. And so a, a big part of it is, is retention. If you let folks know that if you're a venture firm or, or you're, a, um, you know, you're a fund of funds or whatever and, and you are recruiting, you are going to get diverse candidates uh, to apply. Um, you gotta pick the, pick, the, pick the great ones. And then you have to create um, an environment where they can actually feel comfortable at home in, and thrive in. Yeah, I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, amazing. So, uh, so what do you invest in? Tell us, tell us about, you know, the fund and, and especially your kind of areas of interest, uh, and focus and thesis and, and, you know, what you're excited about right now, especially in this kind of crazy COVID time stage sector, all of it. Sure. That's a big question. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so I'll start with our, our thesis. Uh, we, we, we coined it uh, cultural investing. And uh, for us, culture is the proxy for, for human behavior. And so essentially what we're doing is we're, we're trying to identify emerging behavioral shifts, right, um, that are global in nature. And, and then doing a lot of research um, to, to figure out whether those shifts um, have state power or put another way, can become a part of social norm or pop culture. And the belief is that pop culture drives everything in our society. So it's kind of like the equivalent of having a crystal ball, right? If I can see um, where people are spending their time and money today, and I can see where people are gonna spend their time and money in the future and invest there, then essentially I'm investing in tomorrow's next great companies. And so that's the that's the, the crux of our um, of our thesis. There's a lot of technical stuff that goes into that, but I won't bore bore everyone with that here. Um, and then in terms of the areas that we invest in, um, well, the stage is seed stage, right? So um, it's usually we're a part of the first kind of institutional round of capital that um, a startup is taking in, and um, you know, our we we typically write checks, uh, initial checks up to 1.5 million. Um, seeking to get about 10% um, of, a, of a company at that stage. Um, and there are there's six areas that we've traditionally invested in. Um, commerce, which is you know, leveraging the internet and mobile to sell products and services. And marketplaces are kind of a subset of that. I love investing in um, very differentiated marketplaces. Um, uh, fintech is another is another area, um, and the focus here is really about the under and unbanked, and how do you move them or bring them onto the digital economy, uh, and then um, health or digital health, which is the kind of convergence of telemedicine and traditional medicine, with the intention of fixing healthcare in um, in the U.S. So driving down costs, driving up efficiencies by leveraging technology, um, immersive reality. 
Um, and, you know, this is AR, VR, et cetera. Um, but for now, the focus is, is, is intently on enterprises and how that technology can work and solve real problems there um, for businesses. A media and entertainment, you know, uh, we have a lot of media and entertainment DNA, um, but what we're doing there is, is less around content, more around finding um, new and different differentiated distribution channels and platforms that can aid with the um, efficient creation of new content. And then regulatory, um, which, you know, really plays into to Adrian's background, um, you know, where we're looking for, for companies that are, you know, building, you know, terrific game-changing solutions, um, but that will bump up against um, the status quo. And, uh, you know, we'll need um, help from our government allies, et cetera, to, to make it work. Um, so those are, those are the um, six areas that we, that we typically invest in, and, and we lean heavy on the software side. Um, we never say never in terms of hardware, but um, software is definitely a burden book. Awesome. That's so cool. And so many things. Um, what are some of the companies uh, that you've invested in that you're super excited about kind of in this moment um, or just in general? I hate when people ask me this question, so I'm going to ask it to you. Uh, which which baby is your favorite baby? Exactly. Uh, the one that's, uh, easy, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there are a number of them. Um, probably the hottest company in our most recent portfolio is a company called Pipe. Um, and Pipe is is kind of solving the um, uh, the friction between um, you know enterprise um, SaaS companies and their and their customers in terms of um, you know when you get paid, do you need to do subscriptions, et cetera. And it's also um, created kind of a new exchange that allows um, these um, recurring companies with recurring revenue to um, to basically fund their growth based on um, those recurring, um, those contracts essentially. So it's a company that's growing, growing very, very, very fast. Um, it, you know, it represents already in less than a year, uh, a 10X markup in our, in our portfolio. So we're excited about that one. Um, another company uh, in the media and entertainment space called Riff, um, they're basically using three-dimensional um, AI um, technology to do uh, kind of dynamic and um, contextual product placement into, um, into film. That's amazing. And I know that uh, your partner, Adrian, is very excited about one of your probably most uh, well-known on Instagram ad companies, Nugs. Um, and, and I won't lie, uh, I'm not a big chicken nugget eater and I'm not a big like, like meat replacement eater, so I haven't yet had them. But so many of my friends are like obsessed with them. It's like Supreme, if Supreme made chicken nuggets. So tell us a little bit about that one, just in case people have not yet heard. Yeah, so that that deal, um, unfortunately, was done before we got together. So that was a kind of one of our legacy portfolio companies. So I don't know a ton about it, um, but you're right. Uh, every chance Adrian gets, he's, he's posting about, about nugs. And their social, social media marketing game is just un, unmatched, so... Um, yes, but yeah, I, I think you gave the highlights of it. Yes, it is. If you're looking for meatless chicken nuggets, Nugs is your food. Um, so uh, tell us, you know, how can founders make themselves uh, more investable and easier for investors to back? I'm sure you're like me and look at hundreds and thousands of, of companies every year and, you know, 
there are probably tons that like, if they just kind of were like 10% better at the pitch or the email or the whatever, right? Um, we we might be able to dig in and, and find a gem. But I, I know for me and, and maybe for you, um, I know I miss stuff because the founders just, what they're building might be amazing, but the way that they're telling me the story, it, I just sort of missed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things going back to the diversity conversation, right? One of the one of the challenges um, is how do you get in front of of these investors? So, and and it's not always fair, right? Because you you may come from a place or your network is very different um, from you know that of the folks you're trying, whose attention you're trying to um, to get. And so, you know, we have we have a channel on our website uh, where any entrepreneur can can reach out and fill out a, a quick form, give us their deck, et cetera. And we commit to reading every single one of those as a team and following up with the ones that make sense for us. Right. So that's that's just something that we're doing to make it easier for all founders to 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 get access to us. Um, not everyone's going to get, you know, a favorable email back, <laughs> but everyone's going to get um, a review and, and a response. Um, in terms of what founders can do, I think it's two things. Um, one, it, it, it's research, right? So um, you definitely want to, well, introspection and research as, as a pair. So re really understand, you know, what type of company you're building, the, the scale and scope of it, right? And, and then, um, you know, doing the research to find out which um, venture funds or investors um, fit with that, right? So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if, you know, if someone's focused on um, enterprise companies only and you're a consumer company for you to be reaching out. Um, that's probably not going to be a good fit, right? Square hole, um, round peg, whatever. Um, so so do, the, do the research. There's so many investors out there and, and be, you know, um, be deliberate and uh, about who you're reaching out to and, and, and when. And then um, the other thing I'd say is follow their process. Like a lot of folks will tell you how they want to be, um, uh, you know, reached out to or how they prefer to connect, right? Some folks like just connecting on, on, social, on social media and doing it that way. Some folks like to receive emails. Some folks like for you to just submit your stuff on their, um, on their whatever, you know, channel they have for you to submit it. Some folks like LinkedIn, right? So you figure that out through your research and and just follow that um, that that direction. Yeah, I um, I actually say on my LinkedIn instead of like my bio blurb at the top, do not reach out to me on LinkedIn to pitch me. Please go to cleocap.com and multiple times a day. And and it's funny because the reason I say it is just because LinkedIn isn't a great tool for it. But then I'm like, oh God, like. I'm thinking about entering into a like decade long relationship with this founder that's like harder to get out of than a marriage. And they like couldn't read my only single simple request. And like candidly, never say never, but I, it makes me nervous about investing about those founders. Cause I'm like, it's so hard to run a company and there's so many things that are so hard to get right. That if you can't get like those early basic obvious, I am telling you in all caps, please, this is how to reach out to me, right? Like, what am I in for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have our little our little tests um, to see, you know, who who should get the time, et cetera. But but yeah, it's just um, I'm less annoyed by it, and and think of it less as a signal. Um, it's more so you probably just won't get my attention. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to reframe it. Look at you. That's what my therapist would say. Um, exactly. Why give these people your attention? That's a good point. So, you know, if you're listening, you're wondering how to get in front of investors, the preferred method is usually not a bad place to start. Um, so, uh, you know, we, if anyone has questions, drop them in the Q and a, uh, Joe, if you have a question, feel free to, to jump in as well. Um, but otherwise let's, let's just kind of keep chatting. So, um, you know, one, one thing that's come up a lot this year is people are asking how the pandemic is sort of impacting investing. Um, as a really early stage investor, I've generally said, I don't think about it a ton because there's an acceleration in trends, but, you know, the companies I invest in are pre-seed, so they're still going to be, you know, getting started years from now when we're hopefully far past COVID. But has it changed how you invest or how has it made you think about investing? It, it hasn't changed how how we invest um, because so we are we have the the fortune of being a little bit downstream from you right so our sweet spot is you know they have a viable product and they're starting to get some feedback from the marketplace right so we have some data that that we can look at um, in terms of COVID I guess the only additional thing that you know um, or the thing that it puts a little bit more emphasis on is can this company perform in, in downturns as well as, um, as upturns, right? And um, if, it, if, if, the, if it can't really perform in, in a downturn, you know, um, like how much risk uh, does that add to the, um, to, to the equation, right? So, so we're looking at that, but we found in, in general, a lot of people have said this, um, it, COVID is, has proven to be an accelerant, right, of trends. And um, you know, we, we talked about our our thesis, which is all about like behavioral trends, right? So a lot of the stuff that that um, you know that uh, folks are learning about now, we've already studied and have been investing along those lines, right? Like we have uh, a pretty significant um, digital health portfolio already already in place that's already appreciating, right? Um, and 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 you know, rinse and repeat, right? So it, it hasn't um, it hasn't really it hasn't had an adverse effect on on our portfolio um, to date. And then in terms of meeting companies, um, you know that's a little bit different, right? Because you you do the oh let's go grab a drink and um, you know let's get dinner or lunch, uh, so you can catch folks um, in a moment where you know they they're letting their hair down, um, <laughs> and you know and it's and it's a relaxed environment. Um, you have less of that now, right? So one thing that I've been doing with, with the companies that, that we've invested in is you'll get a random phone call and text message from me and we'll just jump on jump on a, um, you know, a FaceTime on like, I don't know, 11 a.m. on a Saturday, like just because, right? And, and not talk about the deal or anything, just, just, just talk, right? So I can get a sense of of who you are um, and, and are you someone that I want to, you know, spend time with for the next 10 years. Uh, so, you know, so you do things like that and way more reference checks now and blind reference checks uh, because you have less, you know, less FaceTime. Yeah, uh, well, more FaceTime, uh, the, the app, less FaceTime IRL. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, yeah. uh, so, you know, how, how has that changed on your side, you know, when you guys go out and fundraise, right? Um, because we, we go out and raise money from a lot of other people, so we have money to invest. Um, what has that changed during COVID? Has it changed it during COVID? Yeah, um, so we're able to have a lot more meetings, 
right? Because, you know, um, in the past, you'd have to like schedule the in-persons in Boston, Chicago, New York, and I live in LA. And, you know, it's it, now I can have all those meetings in one day, right? So it, it, it kind of condenses the process for us a bit. Um, but then, you know, on the flip side, you do have, we, we, we have seen one or two, um, you know, endowments and pension funds that are like, we absolutely need to meet in person. That's a part of our process. Um, and so then you have the, you know, the difficult decision, like, do I fly to Boston and, um, and have this conversation? <laughs> or, you know, or do we just take a pause on this one and, you know, and see how things, uh, see how things pan out? Um, yeah, fortunately, I have a, I have a partner in Adrian that's not afraid of getting on planes. No, he's <laughs> so uh, we can send him. <laughs> he's, uh, so to actually talk about that a little bit. So so Adrian, you know, splits his time by coastally. You're in LA. Um, he spent some time in San Francisco. A lot of the teams in LA. Um, what do you think the future of of work, both for for VCs but also for startups, looks like? Like, are we just going to be disembodied heads in different Zoom rooms forever? Or what happens post COVID? Yeah. So for, I'll start with us. Um, we're definitely gonna, you know, keep our office and, and all that stuff, right? We, we actually um, share space with Macro, the media company, which, you know, creates a, a really interesting vibe when you're blending, um, you know, startup founders, entrepreneurs with creatives um, in the entertainment industry, right? Um, some really, some really cool and unique things happen that way. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait till you see the new one. <laughs> oh, I need to come hang out. I just want to meet Oprah. Um, I love it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's cool. So we're definitely going to maintain that. But because um, our team has been kind of split between LA and the Bay Area, and as you said, Adrian's back and forth um, to the East Coast, we've always had um, like the the remote procedures in place, right? So our our partner meetings are, are have always been virtual right um and or partially virtual some of us in in one office space and others wherever they are um and so yeah, we're set up for this essentially what i've been hearing from portfolio companies is that for the foreseeable future um they're probably going to be fully remote um but longer term there's probably going to be a satellite office wherever you know they consider their their main hub to be where people can um, kind of go to at, at different different points um, you know throughout a, a year or whatever um, but for the most part I think people are comfortable with with being remote and getting access to like great talent uh, from wherever don't, don't have to worry about convincing them to move um, you know or, or or dealing with that that stuff and I think everyone is getting more and more comfortable with, uh, with remote work, right? And being able to build a, a corporate culture um, remotely. Yeah, so if, if Oprah is not likely to show up at your office, you probably don't need one. I got it. Um, so, so we have a great question from TJ. Um, what kind of international investment footprint would, would kind of make you consider investing? So do you guys, you know, will you invest uh, outside of the US? How do you think about that? What sort of, what goes into that conversation? Yeah, so when Joe was reading my bio, he, um, he called out two companies that are um, Kenya-based, um, uh, Ajua and, and Sote. Um, both are, um, you know, uh, Delaware, um, domiciled or, or um, you know, incorporated. 
but they operate in uh, in Africa essentially. And um, what you know, what we're looking for in in offshore investments is one, you know, who's a local investment partner that can uh, be in the journey with us because it's you know that's a long plane ride. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and also I don't know, uh, everything that I probably need to know about the local environment there, um, the culture, the, um, you know, the economy, et cetera. So you, you need a co-traveler that, that understands that. So we tend to get in with, um, you know, very strong, um, local investors. The other thing is, um, can this be a product that is, is not, um, you know, solely for that part of the world. Can it, um, you know, can that that product come to the, the US or go to Europe or wherever and, um, and, and still be successful? Is it a um, global in, in nature? And then, and then obviously the founders, right? So do you trust, do you trust these founders? Um, you know, are they the right people to build this company, um, you know, wherever it is in the world, essentially? Yeah, awesome. Um, and, and do you invest in companies? Uh, I think you covered this, but do you invest in companies that don't have a US presence, like that don't have a Delaware C Corp? Because I know for me, I don't care where you're building, I just have to wire money to a US bank account. Yeah, um, I, I just need to, I need to be comfortable with uh, how the company will be, what which laws the company is going <laughs> to yeah. govern by. Exactly, exactly. As long as we can settle it in California court, like game on, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then Stephen had a great question. Um, what's the biggest difference between Intel Capital and being on your own? Yeah. So, um, by the way, my five years at Intel Capital were amazing. Um, I had I learned a lot um, and worked with some phenomenal people. Um, the, the 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 greatest difference, though, is that it's it's a corporate VC, and so um, inherent in this, in that is that the investments have to be strategic. Um, to um, to the, the the company, right? And Intel was great because it's an ingredients company. So strategic meant a lot of things, right? Um, but there was still uh, a universe of of products and companies um, that I couldn't invest in, and uh, because they just didn't fit with the, the roadmap for um, for Intel Corporation. And so I think that's the that's the biggest difference with um, you know being a financial VC versus a, a corporate VC is the strategic mandate. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I think we're almost out of time. So I just have one kind of last question for you. Um, you know, it's far too sort of rare, I think, that that uh, conversations between two VC investors are, are two Black people, right? And, and uh, even more so a woman. And so, you know, what, how do we make this less rare, right? You, you talked a lot about kind of the tactics, but like, is there like any sort of like one piece of advice or like one thing to leave of like, how do we make this like the status quo instead of like, you know, a lot less common than it should be? I think just being more, um, we talked about the funding part of it and, and what, you know, LPs need to do. But um, us as, as GPs, like we just need to help each other, right? So whether that be around fundraising, sharing, information about um, LPs that invested or didn't invest and, and why, you know, that was the case, making those introductions. Um, you know, if, if you get a speaking opportunity that you can't attend, like who can, who can go um, instead of you, right? That is also black, that is also, that is a woman. 
Um, not also, <laughs> that is a woman, um, right? So it, it's just about, you know, putting each other on and, and, and truly being um, co-travelers and allies. I love it. And I also love allies like SALT, um, who've done an amazing job with, with bringing me on to, to have some of these conversations. And I think that that's a huge part of it as well, um, because as they say in Africa, it takes a village. Um, so with that, thank you so much, Marlon, um, for coming on today. And thank you, Joe and SALT, for having us. Um, Marlon, if people here want to pitch you, where do they go to do it? Uh, macventurecapital.com slash contact. Amazing, amazing. So go find him there and leave his LinkedIn alone. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marlon, and thanks, Salt. Thank you. This is great. Well, thank you both. I mean, it's a, it's truly a privilege to bring conversations like these to the Salt platform. I, you know, have a personal stake in in bringing diverse conversations here as a member of the LGBTQ community. I don't don't see myself in these conversations usually. I don't see myself in finance. I'm one of two people at, at, at Skybridge, a very welcoming firm who are out. So thank you all so much. Thanks.